this morning, uh, I'm going to share with you uh, out of the book of Genesis, uh, and in doing so, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 29. I'm going to teach on a section of verses that I've personally never heard taught on before, maybe you have, uh, but I love the book of Genesis in many ways because it is the story of beginnings. It's not just the creation of the world, it's the creation of the family, it's the creation of tribes, tongues, and nations. And to me, I'm convinced that in order to know where we're going, we got to understand where we've been. And and the book of Genesis, in a real beautiful way, it helps unpack the redemptive plan of God, but also gives us unique insight into the fractured soul of humanity. And almost every chapter you read in Scripture, it carries those dual insights. It shows you a picture of God. And it shows you a picture of us apart from God. And then it ends with a hopeful narrative that if you would give and trust your life to this God, that what is true about him could become true about you. In Genesis 29, I believe, is is a real beautiful picture of one of these stories. And I really feel like God, by his spirit, is going to drop truth into your life today from this story. Starting in verse 29 of Genesis 20, starting in verse 31 of Genesis 29, the Bible records this story. Watch, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. In order to understand the implications of chapter 29, you've got to understand the context of chapter 28. See, Leah is the wife of a man named Jacob, but not his only wife, for he is married to her younger sister, Rachel, as well. In fact, Jacob falls in love with Rachel first. And he works for her father Laban for seven years in order to gain his blessing for that marriage. And on his wedding night, Laban substitutes Leah for Rachel and tricks Jacob into marrying the older sister. And Jacob finds himself now having to work another seven years to marry the gal that he wanted in the first place. (laughs) Oh, this is complicated. Oh, this is unjust. Oh, this is deceitful. But the Bible warns, God will not be mocked, for whatever a man sows, he will also reap. See, Jacob lived a deceitful life. His name meant deceiver or supplanter. He stole his brother's birthright inheritance. He made a mess out of his family system. He swindled his way through life until that which he sowed became that which he reaped. (laughs) Sometimes our pagan culture, they'll refer to this as karma. What goes around comes around. Oh, if you release negative energy into the universe, negative energy is going to come back your way. I just call this the law of being dumb. When you're dumb, dumb things happen to you. And the spirit of dumb is about one of the hardest spirits to cast out of people today. But see, here's the good news. 
God has a way of taking the youthful mistakes of your life and still making something beautiful out of the mess of your past. Are you not thankful for the grace of Jesus Christ today? Are you not thankful for the kindness of Jesus Christ today? Are you not thankful that your past is a place of reference, not a place of residence? And today you can plant new seeds in the soil of your family and future and reap a better harvest than you ever dared to imagine. And because of Jesus, you don't reap what you have sown, you reap what he has sown. And the grace of God has the ability to interrupt the cycle of dysfunction that has put your generational line into bondage for decades. At his voice, that breaks. At his gaze, that thing falls off. At his anointing, that weight that has held you back, identified your family, been that residual sin that you can't break free from, it dissolves in his presence because the mountains still melt like wax by virtue of the glory of God. Now you got to see this. Because the danger with reading the Bible unfaithfully is that you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. And we live in an age and in a culture that does that all the time. The text is changed to somehow affirm the carnal desires of our culture Instead of confronting the spirit of the age. Now you got to see this. Just because the Bible records it, doesn't mean the Bible endorses it. Not one time in scripture does a man have more than one wife and it works out well. Just because man did it, don't mean that God determined it. We've got to learn the difference between what the Bible describes and what the Bible prescribes. Here's what the Bible prescribes. A man should be faithful to one wife. A wife should be faithful to one husband. Their marriage covenant, if possible, should produce godly offspring. And that marriage covenant should represent Christ's love for the church. <laughs> See, marriage will likely be the toughest thing you ever do on this side of heaven. And it will also be one of the best. It is only by the grace of God that Maria and I have made it as far as we have. And this August, we will celebrate 14 years of marriage. <laughs> and I'll tell you, marriage has been the single greatest avenue of discipleship in my life. And having kids has been the second. You think that you got patience? Have kids. You think that you're selfless? Get married. You think that you got the fruit of the Spirit? Share your house and your life with somebody else who sees you on good days, bad days, and every day in between. <laughs> but I want you to see this. In the life of Leah, the grief and the shame and the trauma of being unloved by man stopped up Leah's ability to reproduce. 
It was like cancer in her bones. It was like poison to her soul. And ain't nothing will kill your ability to create like carrying around rejection as your identity. But see, when you've been accepted by Jesus, presented blameless before the Father, filled with His Holy Spirit, it'll be the only validation and permission you need to be fruitful and multiply. And see, some of you are wearing rejection as your mantle because you have been wounded by a father or rejected by a relationship or hurt by a friend or a family member. And I can't promise the pain of that wound will ever fully go away, but I am here to tell you today that that spirit is losing its permission to dictate your outcomes because when you get a revelation that you've been seen by the Almighty, everything in your life begins to shift. And if his eye is on the sparrow, how much more is his heart pointed in your direction? Oh, his eyes, they still go to and fro throughout the earth looking for vessels to fill. At his gaze, vision comes to my life. At his voice, dead things come out of their grave. In his presence, deaf ears are opened. Because when God saw Leah, it enabled her to conceive. It don't say that she went to the healing crusade. It don't say that she came forward for prayer. It don't say that she called for the elders of the church to anoint her with oil to pray the prayer of faith that heals the sick. All it says is when God saw her, her womb was open and she was able to conceive. And I'm telling you, when the gaze of a father that gives you identity, validation, and permission is set on the weariness of your soul, there is a new day that is coming. For sorrow may last for the night, but there is joy that is coming in the morning. And I would dare to say this morning, you have caught the gaze of the Almighty. And that's the most important perspective you'll ever have. I might not get that promotion I want, but I've been seen by Yahweh. Well, I might feel lonely in this marriage, but I've been seen by Yahweh. I might be overwhelmed raising these kids. I might feel confused about what's next in my life, but I have been seen by Yahweh. Now watch what the Bible says here in the next verse. Now Leah became pregnant. She gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. For she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Now watch. Surely my husband will love me now. See, in our culture, we don't appreciate the significance of names. But in the Old Testament, the names of children spoke not only to the prophetic significance of the child, but also of the parent. See, I always know how old this church is because of how old my firstborn is. Because we planted this church when he was three months old. It was the most chaotic season of our life. We had sold our house. We had moved in with our in-laws. We had no salary. We had no health insurance. 
We had a new baby trying to figure out how to stay married, be good parents. And right in the midst of it, God drops a church as a dream in our hearts. We opened in a barn. We sat on hay bales. And we said, all right, God, now what's next? (laughs) But when we was deciding what to name our firstborn, I heard the Spirit of the Lord speak to me and say, you are going to name your children in a prophetic way that signifies the promise of God for your life and for your family. And so we named our firstborn Matthew Esco. Now, Esco was the name of my grandfather on my mother's side. He was an immigrant from Finland. He got born again and found himself in the assemblies of God as a home missionary to the Native American tribes in Washington State. In fact, the first preaching gigs I ever got was on the reservation. And they would invite me up on stage and they would say, here's Esco's grandson. He going to preach to us like Esco used to. He going to carry the mantle that Esco used to. And so I didn't even have a name. I was just the grandson of Esco. But here's the crazy part. They would talk about my grandfather, but I had never met him. Because later on in his life, as he was pastoring a church, he would have a moral collapse, divorce my grandma, cheat on her, shack up with a woman, blow up his family, lose his church, and find himself lost in sin for many decades until the grace of God turned him around just prior to his passing. And when we had our firstborn... The Lord said, you're going to name him Matthew Esco. And not only are you going to redeem that name, but this is going to be like a sword in your hand as a prophetic declaration that even though burnout took him, it ain't going to take you, it's not going to take your kids, and it ain't going to take your family. And then after Matthew, my wife and I had back-to-back ectopic pregnancies. And she ended up on chemotherapy and surgery after surgery. And the doctor said, you will never have another biological child. And if it does, it's going to take a miracle. I said, I know a guy who still does miracles. And so in the midst of what seemed like impossible circumstances, I got invited to Israel. And I showed up in Jerusalem at the Wailing Wall the western wall where the Jewish people still gather to pray. And that wailing wall was wet from my tears as I prayed at that wall and I asked that God would give us a miracle child. And he did. And we named that girl Reagan Hope because hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a promise fulfilled is a tree of life. Watch what Leah does. She names her first child Reuben, meaning surely I will be seen. And she thought to herself, surely my husband will love me now. See, Leah was a miracle in motion. Her womb was opened, but her identity was still in the process of being healed. And because of this, she names her first child to reflect her greatest insecurity and fear. I am not seen and I am not loved. And can I tell you, 
If the express goal of your production is to be seen by friends and loved by man, you are creating from the wrong perspective. For if people love you for what you produce, that isn't love. What I produce is a manifestation of praise unto God, not a manufactured attempt to gain approval from man. And maybe one of the healthiest things for me over the last number of years is to be surrounded by moms and dads in the faith who love me not as a reflection of how well I preach, not as a reflection of how many people showed up to church, not as a reflection of how big the budget was last month, but they love me like the Father loves me, not because of what I can do, but simply because of who I am. And I'm here to tell you today, God has planted you in this church to surround you with moms and dads in the faith because you have many teachers but you got few fathers and you need a fathering voice in your life who looks past what you're able to produce looks past what you're able to give looks past how you're able to perform and just loves you for who you are and you and I we can't afford for the next generation to carry forward the trauma that we never dealt with So when you get healthy, it's literally the greatest investment you could ever make for those around you and those who are coming after you. See, Leah thinks, oh, if I can just perform, if I can just produce, if I can just create, I will finally be loved. But friend, the love of God isn't a reflection of your work. It's a reflection of His. And the more that you try and earn it, the further you are from it. Could you just let God love you today? Could you let Him love you like He loved the Son who at the baptism in the Jordan River, before he ever did a miracle, before he ever held a crusade, before he ever raised the dead, before he ever fed the 5,000, before he ever flipped the world upside down, the father said, this is my son in whom I love and the pleasure of the father is upon him. Some of us have become so busy working for God We have lost the joy of working with God. Now watch verse 33. And she conceived again. Now you got to understand that oftentimes when the Bible records the narrative of a person's life, in about four or five verses, it'll cover 10 to 12 years of their history. This is not meant to be understood in the way that she is supernaturally conceiving and then birthing that child the next day only to get pregnant the following day. Now, I know some of you are fertile in this room, and that's basically been your story, but I'm telling you, in these four or five verses, it's recording about 10 to 12 years of family history. They don't have birth control, they don't got condoms. They have a tent in the wilderness. That's why all these kids are getting born in COVID. Ain't nothing else to do but procreate. Now she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. I want you to see this. 
In the process of two verses, Leah's declaration goes from, I was not loved, to I am not loved. And unless you learn the art of controlling your interior dialogue, you'll end up taking your temporary emotions and making them your permanent realities. And there ain't nothing worse in life than a visitor in your mind who overstays their welcome. Oh, I'd venture to say it's high time to serve some eviction notices on some voices and conversations that are no longer helpful for where you're headed. See, the most important person that I'll ever prophesy to is myself. I am continually having to correct the record of my inner dialogue. In fact, if the inner dialogue of your life were to be played over the loudspeakers this morning, what would it be rated? For some of us, it'd be rated R. For others, it might be triple X. Because our interior dialogue has become so poisonous. Because we aren't human beings, we are human doings. And we always assess our value based on the production of our last activity. And in doing so, we become burdened with this identity of trying to earn what is already ours by inheritance. I am loved by a father. I've been chosen. I've been accepted. I've been set apart. I was fearfully and wonderfully made. I haven't been perfect. I got a lot of room to grow. But I am the delight of my father above. And every good and perfect gift still comes from him today. See, that's why I love singing these songs. Come on, my soul. Don't you grow shy on you got a song inside of you. You got a lion inside of those lungs. I get here in worship and I got to prophesy myself back to life. I got to prophesy myself back into revival. I can't wait for somebody else to take the initiative to, for, for, for the development and the guardianship of my soul. And I'm telling you, in worship, it's one of the greatest opportunities that you'll ever have to correct the narrative of your life. I was glad when they said unto me, come unto the house of the Lord. I will enter into his gates with thanksgiving and praise. My soul will bless the the Lord. I don't feel like it. My marriage is tough. My family is tough. I was fighting on the way here. That business deal just fell through 12 hours ago, but I'm in the house of God, in the presence of God, surrounded by the people of God. So come on, my soul. Don't grow shy. You got a song inside of you today. See, when you allow the way things look, to speak louder than the way things are. You'll end up attaching false identities and untrue realities to things and people around you. Now watch what Jesus says in Matthew 6. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body be filled with light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be filled with darkness. If your vision is off, if your perspective is skewed, if your worldview is tilted, if your self-image isn't healthy, if you haven't learned the art of loving your neighbor even as you love yourself, 
it becomes the very thing that poisons the well of your spirit. See, Leah felt as if she was unloved. She felt as if she was unnoticed. But in all reality, the God of the universe was staring straight at her and she had no idea the significance of what she was about to birth into the earth. See, listen, friend, this is in fact the enemy's tactic. Mind games that do violence against the people of God and wreak havoc against the plans of God. But I've got good news. The church is where the purpose of God comes to live and the plans of the enemy come to die. Leah's first child was named Reuben, meaning surely I will be seen. But in verse 33, she has a second son named Simeon, meaning surely I will be heard. (laughs) See, when folks don't feel seen and when folks don't feel heard, they'll attempt to get validation from stuff and people who are simply ill-equipped to provide it. And why do you think 90% of the prison population is made up of men who grew up in homes without a father? Oftentimes born to moms without a husband. Because when we don't have validation the traditional way, we end up in the streets seeing if we can make up for the lack that we've experienced elsewhere. Leah popping out babies and Jacob couldn't care less. And all the more she has, the more frustrated she gets. Can anyone see me? And does anyone care? Verse 34. Surprise. And she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last, my husband will become attached to me. Because I have borne him three sons. So she named this one, Levi. As Leah's family expands through the names of her children, she is expressing the three most basic and core human desires. Watch the need to be loved, the need to be seen, and now the need to be connected. And friend, at your core, You serve the God who meets every one of those needs in the person of Jesus Christ. You will never be more loved than you are right now. You will never be more seen than you are right now. And there isn't one thing that you can produce or one relationship you can broker or one substance that you can take that can minister to those basic needs like the love and the power of Jesus Christ. She said, I got another son. Surely my husband will be connected now. But don't the scripture say that he is the husband to the widow. He is the father to the fatherless. Until God heals the identity issue of your soul, you'll look for love in all the wrong places and be more empty than when you first started. But when you accept the love of the father, he'll heal stuff you didn't even know was broken. He'll go back six generations and break every car off your life for the God that we serve is the defender of the defenseless and he is a strong tower and the righteous run into him and they are safe let me end here verse 35 I hope you're picking up on the pattern 
and she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time, this time it's not about my lack. This time it's not about my inadequacy. This time is not about my insecurity. This time is not about my woundedness or my pain or my trauma or my mom or my dad or my husband or my wife. This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah and she stopped having children. Leah has four children. Each she names in an attempt to gain love from her husband until she gets to number four. And the fourth she names Judah and says, this time I will praise the Lord. And friend, I would submit to you today that this is in fact what God was after the entire time. I'm going to bless you with what you think you need until it reveals to you what you actually need. What I'm actually looking for, Leah, is someone who will praise me regardless of how they feel, regardless of how their family structure appears, regardless of their perceived inadequacy and lack, and in real time. You get to watch Leah learn the lesson of her rejection. Last time, I allowed my fear and pain to label everything I produced. Last time, I allowed my trauma to become my identity. Last time, I allowed my interior dialogue to poison the well of my mind. And here's the reality. My marriage might still be tough. My kids might still be crazy. My finances might still be tight. But this time, this time I have learned my lesson. And this time, I will praise the the Lord. Some of y'all creatives in this room, you're writing songs that might not ever get sung on this stage, but every single one of them God writes down in His book. You're writing stories that might not ever get published. You're writing poems that might not ever get rehearsed. You've got talents and anointings and giftings that might not ever be platformed in the way that you so desire. But if I could just challenge you by the great mercy of God, which is in Christ Jesus this morning, if you will produce regardless of the outcome, if you will produce regardless of the compliments, if you will produce regardless of the affirmation of the crowd around you God will take what is birthed through your influence and he will unlock a Judah generation that will rise up and praise the Lord and what comes from Judah a lion from that tribe whose banner is waved over the nations, who at his roar, angel armies stand at the defense of his beloved. 
It was from the tribe of Judah that the very promised Messiah would come. Leah just thought, oh great, it's another kid. Oh great, it's another dead marriage. Oh great, it's another season of feeling left alone and rejected. But the God of the universe was after a generation that would be birthed from the simple obedience of making a decision in the midst of her pain to praise the Lord. And I'm telling you today, you don't have permission for your soul to stay shy. You don't have permission for your worship to be held back because there is a lion that is roaring from the tribe of Judah and he's in your spirit and he's coming through your lungs. And if we would learn the art of giving that type of worship to that type of God, I am convinced that God will accomplish everything that he has promised you in the next generation because of your faithfulness. I know it's a risk to trust again. I know it feels scary to step out of the boat again. I know it's hard to become a member of a church again. But may the declaration of our life be this time, I will praise the Lord. Come hell or high water, if I never get that apology I deserve, if I never get that opportunity that I want, if I never feel like I see that dream accomplished, if I never get the invitation I deserve, if I never get the compliments that I want, this time is gonna be different than every other time in the past. This time I'm gonna praise the Lord. Come on, would you stand and give God a great shout of praise in the Northwest.